You watch movies like Braveheart and they would shoot a fiery arrow into the thatch of the person's house to burn it from the top down. That's what he does. Fiery arrows into our minds, thoughts with the destruction to burn us from the top down. Because if he can't make you, if he can't stop you from becoming a Christ follower, he's going to do everything in his power to make you an ineffective one. And, and that's where I see people walking around in a limp. They, they're ineffective in knowing their true identity in Christ, mm. which means they're not living in the fullness of what they were created for because God has intentionally woven each one of us together with a unique purpose and plan. Welcome to the Follower Podcast, a place for conversations about following Jesus to the depths of his heart and the ends of the earth. My name is Matthew Lewis, and I am so glad that you are here. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Follower Podcast. Man, it's so good to be with you guys. Um, we're in um, a kind of, not really a series. If you are a listener to the Follower Podcast, you'll know we often do different series, but at the moment, we're just kind of speaking with different people, people that um, I've just really found interesting in their following of Jesus and the way that they are sharing that with the world. Um, and on the podcast today, we have um, Mads Daisel. Now, uh, if you don't know Mads, she um, established and leads this organization called Edify, which really has come out of her kind of own journey, walking into wholeness and becoming a, a therapist and pastoral counselor. And she did work with Grace Family Church, if you know Grace Family Church for a long time and established Grace Counseling. And now she just kind of moves around South Africa, working with churches and local communities and helping equip them to meet some of the pastoral and counseling needs of the communities around them. And so she really sees uh, therapy, Christian therapy, as a sort of expression of her faith and, and quite missionally so. I think that's quite profound. Mads, would that sort of sum up some of where you are? Did, did we get there? Hundred percent. That was awesome. Well done. <laughs> yeah. Well, well, thank yeah. you so much for being on the show, man. I we haven't actually met in person, but we have no. friends in common, and so I'm just so excited to have this conversation with you. No, I'm I'm really honoured to be here, and um, yeah, you know when you when you've walked a journey and you've seen the 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 kind of restorative power of God in your own life, um, yeah, it's it, it's what. It, it's what wakes me up every morning to keep doing what I'm doing because I want to see that for everybody, you know. Mm. Uh, so, yeah, it's just a real, it's really exciting to be here. Thank you. Fantastic, man. And, and I guess let's just jump right in there. Tell us a little bit about that, uh, the restorative power of God in your life. Mm. Give us a bit of your story and how it led you to do what you're doing now. So I, um, I grew up in a, in a, in a broken home, um, a number of divorces between my parents for, for, for various reasons. And, um, I had a very dysfunctional relationship with my mom. Um, so much to the point, I remember when I was about 12 years old, I was utterly convinced I was adopted, that actually my real mom existed somewhere else out there in the world. And um, and I remember as a 12-year-old going hunting for my adoption papers because I was convinced my real mom wasn't who she was, you know. And uh, instead I found my birth certificate and my parents' marriage certificate, and, and they were six months apart. And then I started doing the math, and then I was like, okay. Uh, and I remember very clearly this, this, this thought came into my mind of, you're a mistake, that's why you don't belong. Um, and that robbed um, my, my teenage years uh, because I agreed with it. Um, and it kind of gave me a, a filter for processing most of my teenage years 
Um, but it robbed so much of my developmental years in the sense of just knowing who I was. Um, I also grew up in a Mormon church and um, the, the picture of God was very legalistic. It was very law keeping. Um, and, and I remember clearly around similar age, 12, 13, going, well, if God doesn't love me for who I am, then I'm not interested in him um, and kind of stopped going to the Mormon church. Uh, and it was only through actually a, a Christian family um, that started to show me something radically different to what I was experiencing in my own home that I started to realize, hey, maybe maybe this Jesus that everyone's talking about is not the same Jesus of the Mormon church. Maybe it's something different. And so at 16, I get saved. Um, and um, I realized that I needed help because my heart was cold. I, I, I would There were times where I wanted to cry, but I just didn't know how to cry. Um, and so a, a, a mutual friend or a mentor kind of pointed me towards a counselor and I started getting counseling. And I remember after the first session, she said to me um, that she wanted to counsel me for free because that's what a mother's heart would do. Um, and that was the, the kind of starting point of, of, first of all, just understanding that, that God can use anyone to be a parent to you. It doesn't have to be your biological parent. Um, but it was also the start of the kind of journey for me in counseling, because as she counseled me, there was a part of me that was intrigued in the process as much as me dealing with my stuff. Um, so there will be days where I was very aware of my own defense mechanisms were shut and she would be like, oh, I can see you don't want to be in counseling today. And I'm like, for sure, I don't want to be here. Um, and then she would find these back doors in and I'll be like, how did you do that? Like I was so <laughs> curious to the process of counseling as much as being counseled. Um, and I think she saw that aptitude in me. And so she journeyed with me in my, in my, in my late teens. Um, and uh, and I, I kept a close relationship um, with her as she, in my 20s, actually ended up encouraging me to study counseling. Uh, I was living in the UK. I was in my mid-20s. Um, and so I ended up studying through the same space that she did when I was in the UK. Um, and when in my 30s, when I came back to South Africa, she actually took me around a couple of counseling centers in Johannesburg to just vision cast into the power of counseling in church. Uh, and I remember going to some of these meetings and um, I had absolutely no idea what to say or ask. I, I just sat there mute, like total deer in headlights, totally felt inadequate in what I was doing. And she did all the questioning and I just listened um, and just kept thinking inside of my head going, how on earth can God use me? Like I'm clueless in mm. any of this. Yeah. Um, but it was actually in my 40s that I, I ran my first counseling conference through Grace Family Church uh, and I got to honor her. So 10, 10 kind of decades of, of investing in my life and I saw the power of a counselor is not just for an hour moments in someone's world, but actually can, can speak life and, and kind of legacy into, into the journey of, of who I became. Um, and, that, and that inspires me in the sense of that we're, we're called to be disciples and counseling is actually discipleship. Right, um, right. There's different levels of training and, and kind of investment that we can have in people's life. Um, and even Jethro spoke this to Moses when the needs of the people were too great. He, you know, he kind of spoke into three levels of care, self-care in terms of teaching people tools and decrees, community care, appointing people over 10, you know, groups of 10s, 20s, and 50s, and then pastoral care, dealing with the more complicated cases. Um, but yeah, I just saw, you know, 
kind of interwoven into my story, the power of, of the voice of a counselor, of a, of a mentor, of a disciple, uh, of a coach, uh, in terms of just speaking potential and purpose. Um, and so, yeah, a big part of my journey started in just receiving counseling. Um, and, and, and my life, even, even in, even till now, you know, I still, I still seek out wisdom. Mm. I still seek out wise counsel when I hit roadblocks or, or, or I'm triggered or like, what is this that's going on in my emotional world? I, I really believe, and Proverbs is very clear, the more wise counsel you follow, the better your chances. So right, right. yeah, it's, um, uh, yeah, that's, that's in a very small nutshell, uh, mm. My kind of journey of how I got from there to here. Yeah, I just I just love how you have picked up that idea of the uh, counseling or therapy is discipleship, and I think why that's so important to me at least is I think for a long time, particularly in evangelical Christianity, perhaps maybe more strongly so, some of us our spirituality has been. Um, very vertical without the horizontal. And mm. so, you know, when people talk about healing or when people talk about wholeness, it can tend to be, uh, sometimes it can tend to be very disembodied and very mm. separate from the church that God has given us to find our healing in, you know? And mm. so guys end up praying and praying and praying and praying and asking for sort of this, I don't know, like a download of healing. And yeah. very often Jesus actually wants to bring that healing through the people that he's put in our lives. Would you relate to that? And how do you see that playing out in, in your work? Completely. I mean, I remember in my first year as a student when I was studying to become a counselor and they were teaching the theology behind the model of counseling that, were te- that, that we were learning. And I, I remember putting my hand up going, why are they not teaching this in church? Like this integration of, of theology and psychology just made sense to me because I knew who Jesus was. I knew what he had done to me, but I hadn't integrated it into the soul aspect of who I was because may my whole spirit, soul, and body. So my soul, which is the root word for that word soul is the word psyche, where, where the word psychology comes from. I think they should be calling us soulologists, not psychologists. <laughs> um, but it's helping me understand why do I think, feel, and behave the way I do? You know, what was the impact of the fall on, on the psychological aspects of who I am? And how does actually the redemptive gospel speak into that space? Um, and so, yeah, you know, one of the things I'm passionate about from a training perspective is, is bringing those two schools of thought together that actually when you understand your identity in Christ and you outwork it in the soul of yourself in terms of why do I think the way I think? Because um, what I see in the counseling room is the fruit of destructive thinking. Uh, and, And I'm always thinking, how do I get to the root so it's not just a reactive approach? How do I how do I empower people from a proactive approach with tools to, first of all, also understand the warfare they're in? Because scripture says clearly we need to capture a rebellious thought. And when you look at that word thought, the omer, it, it's, it's, it's a thought with an evil intention. Mm. You know, because the thoughts sound like me doesn't always mean they come from me. Right. Um, and good. so you know, thoughts come into our mind with the intention to rob, steal, and destroy. The only power that thought has is if I agree with it. The minute I agree with it, I'm a mistake, then it robs, it destroys identity. Um, And so a lot of what I do from a training perspective is teaching people even about the schemes and strategies of how the enemy works in the mind uh, and what that looks like. And scripture has got so much to say around that because it talks about, you know, 
um, holding up a shield of faith against rebellious, uh, 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 against the schemes of the enemy. And that word scheme is the same word, neoma, as rebellious thought. Wow. <laughs> so what are the schemes of the enemy? Well, he wants to destroy identity. He wants to sidetrack us. And again, you know, he just throws the tiniest seed of doubt into a person's mind. Uh, and the scripture talks about it being a fiery arrow, you know, and you watch movies like Braveheart and they would shoot a fiery arrow into the thatch of the person's house to burn it from the top down. Goodness. That's what he does. Fiery arrows into our minds, thoughts with the destruction to burn us from the top down. Because if he can't make you, if he can't stop you from becoming a Christ follower, he's going to do everything in his power to make you an ineffective one. And, and that's where I see people walking around in a limp. They, they're ineffective in knowing their true identity in Christ, mm. which means they're not living in the fullness of what they were created for because God has intentionally woven each one of us together with a unique purpose and plan. So the enemy can sidetrack you from that because, yes, we're born into a broken world and nine times out of a ten our parents were broken, not because of their heart, but their own fallenness. And so mm -hmm. how they grow, how they parent us is destructive or ineffective or there's a lack or there's a wounding. And that causes limps, that causes wounds, insecurities, fears. And if we don't own that and, and, and invite God into the healing process of that, then we continue to live out in the lip. And this is where we see generational patterns continue. It's not a curse. It's, well, that's what my dad did, so that's mm. what I do, because I don't mm. know any better. Mm. But when we take ownership of our own journeys and we invite God into those spaces of healing and wholeness, um, it leads to what I call liberated living. Um, and I would say it's probably been in the last five, six years of my life that I feel like I'm in the slipstream of knowing what I'm called for, what my purpose is, what my identity is, where my security is. Um, and it doesn't mean I'm without challenges, but when you're in the slipstream of your purpose, it's, it, it really is liberating. It's, it's, mm. it's, it's exciting, you know. Mm. Um, and then I go, imagine if every Christ follower understood what it means. Because I think we, when we look at people in the church, people are turning one 20 times. Right. <laughs> They're Come not on. growing. Wow. They're not growing into the full maturity of what they were originally knit together for. And, and that doesn't sit well with me, you know, as mm. much as the fact that people are paying strangers to listen to them from a counseling perspective, that doesn't sit well with me either. So that's where my heart in terms of empowering churches with tools and resources to help people on this journey. Um, yeah, I just think there's nothing better. It's like, mm. <laughs> it's really exciting. Mm. And you know what you're saying, Matt? I mean, you're not really familiar with the follower podcast, but kind of at the heart of the follower podcast is this idea that we're not just called to be believers, but followers. Mm. So, that, yeah. so that we move sort of beyond just doctrinal statements or theological ideas. Mm but into mm. an embodied apprenticeship under Jesus, mm, right? For sure. And and so this is what you're talking about. And, and for those of you who are listening, who are tracking with the show and you've been listening to the podcast for a while, Maz is really unpacking so much of what we've been speaking about, about around formation and around mm. inviting God into those broken areas in our lives mm. and letting the spirit do the work. Because because And maybe you would agree, and maybe you could unpack this as well, Maz, is like some of the things that we are struggling with are in us almost like at a biological level, like they're almost like in our cells and no amount of just willpower is going to get you out of that. And so, yeah. the, the, and you know, we can pray till we be in the face, all that kind of good stuff. But at some mm. point, what you say, we've got to own it and let mm. God into it. Would you agree? And, and maybe some thoughts on that? 
completely. I mean, how many people actually think about what they're thinking about? Sure. You know, we, we can drive from point A to point B and have no idea what route we took because it moves back into the unconscious because we've been driving for so long. Mm. Same with belief systems. Because, because a belief system may have started in childhood, Scripture says very clearly, when I was a child, I thought like a child and I reasoned like a child. Well, I've got two young boys and their reasoning is pretty irrational. <laughs> often. You know, if I say, yeah. no, you can't have ice cream for breakfast, they're like, oh, you don't love me. Mm. Now, if there's no one there to speak truth over a mindset, and that mindset is something they agree with, like the one I had, I'm a mistake. There was no one there to help me um, challenge that thought and put it into its right context. Mm. Um, and one of the schemes of the enemy is that he wants people to believe that what you do or what others do to you equals your value and your identity. So if somebody makes a mistake towards me, he wants to turn it into, well, you are a mistake. If you fail, he wants to turn the action of failure into identity. You are a failure. Someone rejects you. He wants to turn the action of rejection into identity. You are unlovable. Um, and that's where so many of these mindsets start in childhood. But then they move into the unconscious. We develop um, protective strategies to, to protect ourselves from the pain of that belief. So if I'm believing I'm a mistake, my, my protective strategy was to smallen my world, to, you know, to not allow myself to be vulnerable to others, to I became incredibly insecure. So you can hear the kind of shrinking of, of my life and my world based on a lie. Um, and that robs. But if that defense mechanism and mindset is now entrenched into my behavior, well, it's a well-worn path in my mind that I'll just automatically default into. I'll automatically use as a lens for processing everything I go through mm. on now an unconscious level. And then I'm wondering why I'm reaping what I'm sowing. Mm. Well, if I'm believing I'm a mistake, then I'm living a mistake and I'm sowing seeds of I'm a mistake. Right. Um, and if God hadn't met me at that crossroads, I often wonder where would my life of I believe I don't belong end up. Mm. Um, and that's what you see happening across the board where because we don't consciously consider um, our own thoughts and beliefs. And, and Hosea says people perish because of a lack of knowledge. And this includes self-awareness. If I am not aware of my thoughts, my emotions, and my behaviors, because I, it's, they're so deeply entrenched, then yeah, I will continue to live a life of poverty, even though I have a rich inheritance at my disposal. Mm. Um, I won't live in the fullness of that because of those deeply entrenched beliefs. Mm. Um, and scripture says, when I was a child, I thought like a child, I reasoned like a child, but when I grew up, I need to put away those things. Mm. And that's a proactive approach. That doesn't just happen by itself. That, that's a, an intentional, hey, I, what do I need to put away that's robbing me? Um, am I aligned to truth? And, um, you know, we know, the, we know the enemy is the father of all lies. Uh, and that means his lies are, are sneaky. They're not always going to be blatant. <laughs> I mean, he made breaking the one and only rule in Genesis look good. <laughs> right, right. Yeah. <laughs> it's very deceptive. And so if we don't know what truth is, how are we going to discern what lies are? Um, and so many people are living in the shadow of their potential, of their identity, because they've agreed with lies. 
um, and yeah, it robs and, mm. um, mm. and, uh, yeah. And sometimes that agreement isn't even explicit. It's just implicit. And mm. I, and I think what you've said is so key. It's like, uh, one mm. of, one of the friends of this podcast, Trevor Hudson, he always says, uh, formation is not going to fall on you out of the sky. Mm. Like, like your maturity in Jesus, if you want to move past year one, <laughs> you mm. know, in your yeah. discipleship to Jesus, there is a, um, you have to cooperate with the grace of God. There is an action. And I just think some people have understood a gospel that leaves them passive because their mm -hmm. understanding is that, well, if I just like flood my mind with Netflix and flood my mind with social media and flood my mind with all this stuff, God will still do it anyway. But I think what yeah. you're saying is actually, no, the most destructive things are those little seeds and thoughts that set you on a trajectory over time, which is mm -hmm. opposite to who you've been created mm -hmm. to be. Yeah, completely. Well, scripture says, work out your salvation. And that word work out is katagazima. In other words, do whatever it is you need to do to show the evidence of a, of, of a saved soul. Mm. So, you know, I'm still looking for a gym instructor that will do the workout for me <laughs> and I get the benefits. It doesn't work. Right, yeah. So, you know, do the workout. Work it out. Yes. Yes. If, if he says you're a new creation in Christ, work out what that means in mm. your soul and your thoughts and your emotions and your behaviors. If you truly understood what it means to be a son or daughter of the king, how differently would you be living your life? Yes. Yes, absolutely. And then I love that because it says you work it out for it's God that's working it out in you in that same exactly. passage. You know? And yeah, so right yeah. there, we just see this coming together, a partnership. a partnership, right? Of God. Yeah. Uh, it's uh, Augustine says like without Without you, God won't, but without God, you can't. You know, this mm. like this bringing together of these two completely, worlds. Completely, completely. And, and Matt, you've, uh, you've written a book about this. Um, tell mm. us a little bit about the book and, and, and what's in yeah. that. So I got one here. Yes. <laughs> it's actually exactly one of the last 10 copies I have. I'm busy printing some more because I'm sold out. Come on, um, that's awesome. But um, CARE stands for Creating Authentic Restorative Environments. Uh, and it's for wholeness. So care for wholeness. So how do I intentionally create authentic restorative environments for my journey of wholeness? And, and the four main categories are self-care, community care, pastoral care, and professional care. Um, and it's in a sense, it captures uh, essence of my story uh, and my journey. Um, but how as a counselor and reflecting back over my story, like if I had to re-sit down with a 20-year-old version of myself, what would I want to tell myself, you know? And so it's almost like saying to people, you know, this is the, this is some of the key nuggets that I've learned on, on the journey of my, of my healing and wholeness. Um, and I find myself even in the counseling room saying these things over and over and over again as I journey with people. So that's why I wanted to put it into a book because um, my job is to work myself out of counseling. If I can give everybody the tools and the tips um, so that they don't need counseling, that's what I'm all for. Um, and so, yeah, it in a sense captures how to intentionally take ownership of your own self-care. What does that look like? How does it, how do you intentionally create safe community spaces. Uh, like one of the stories I talk about is, is I realized once when I was starting to invest in, um, in kind of a mom figure in my world, she turned around and said to me, you know, Matt, there may be days where you knock on my door and you need a mom, but my own brokenness means that I can't be there for you. Not because I don't want to, but because I'm also, I'm also a wounded healer. I'm also struggling with my stuff. And that's when I realized I need to find five moms. Um, and so the intentionality <laughs> yeah. Of investing 
in healthy relationships, younger, older, because God really does place the lonely in families. Mm. Um, but you need to be willing to be placed or you need to be willing to, to be vulnerable so that those doors can open in order for placement to happen. And, and I probably have um, closer relationships with people outside of my biological family than I ever did inside my biological family. Um, but there was an intentionality in that, you know, in terms of just pastoral care and, and, and in seasons, even seeking professional intervention, you know. Um, and so, yeah, I weave a lot of my, of my story and, and just what I've learned and what I, I teach now in terms of <clears throat> investing into other people into this space. Because, yeah, I live, breathe and, uh, and work wholeness and, 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 and I believe in it because... Um, it's actually interesting. I had a I had a dinner with a friend in Cape Town that I hadn't seen in probably 25 years. And um, she said to me, when I see you now versus who I knew you were, wow. and she hasn't seen me in all those years. It's kind of like weight loss. You don't realize how much you've lost weight when, when you see everyone every, you know, daily. Yeah, and she was like, yeah. all I can say is but God. Wow. Um, and for me, again, it was just so exciting to, to know that this is God really is a restorative, redemptive God. And when we bring our pieces before him, mm. he, he, he will build us back up together. Uh, and he's got the blueprint. So for him, it's easy. You know, mm. we've just got to, we've just got to surrender. Totally, yeah. <laughs> um, <clears throat> yeah. And, and who, who would you recommend this book to? Who's it for primarily? I mean, everyone, um, I'm sure, but. Yeah. So, you know, if somebody's, if somebody's going, Hey, I believe I was created for more. I believe my, I believe that I'm stuck and I want practical tools to start a journey of healing and wholeness. And this book is for you. Um, or if you have a heart for walking journeys with people. Um, and again, that's not just as a counselor, because I think, you know, everyone should be doing some level of counseling care with discipleship. Um, and you want to go, how do I give people practical steps? You know, one of the things that I've been called is, a, is not just a counselor, but a practitioner. I believe if you can't take theory and put it into practical steps, then what good is it? You know, mm. because we live in a world with lots of knowledge, but people are not applying it or they don't mm. know how to apply it. And so I love giving people practical examples of what that looks like from a day-to-day -day basis. So it's full of those kind of nuggets. Um, and yeah. Fantastic. Yeah. Really great. And then you also have these videos online. You've created these sessions. I think you said 12 mm. sessions. Where can people find that? What are those about? Yeah. So, you know, when I counsel people, one of the things I'm constantly doing is where did the root of this problem in their life start? Um, and then the, the trainer in me takes that insight and turns it into courses. And, and, and that's the proactive approach. Cause I don't, <coughs> excuse me, I don't want just people to, you know, find answers after they've made all the mistakes. Um, I just think if people took a more proactive approach in owning their journeys, even in the early stages of their life, so much better. Um, and so I've written courses in a number of, of spaces for self-care tools. So like healing the wounded inner child, identity foundations, the wholeness course um, are just a couple of examples. Uh, community care courses, I've written things like coffee cup convos. 
um, how to have an effective coffee, how to have an effective co uh, conversation with someone over a cup of coffee. So it's oh, informal fantastic. spaces um, because generally your, your, your small group leaders are actually at the forefront of people's stories, but they don't always know what to do with them. They mm -hmm. see them week in and week out. They hear the kind of, the kind of storms that people are going through, but they're like, what do I do with that practically? You know, small group leaders are trained to serve good coffee and press play on a DVD player. Well, they don't have DVDs anymore, but, um, yeah, yeah. You know, but it's like, how do we have effective discipleship conversations? So um, training resources into that and then marriage stuff, blended family stuff, grief stuff. There's a couple of free courses on there, like EQ, e, you know, EQ for uh, kids, empowering parents on how to raise up healthy children with, with a good EQ. So there's some free resources into that. Um, you can check it out. There's links off my website, um, edify-buildingthesoul.com. Um, and I've uploaded all the courses onto a, a platform called Teach Folk uh, that does, uh, it's like a, a platform that hosts courses. Um, so you can enroll in that. Uh, the links on my website are to those two platforms. Uh, one of them is a pay-as-you-go platform. So literally like Amazon, you scan through all the courses and you can pay for the one that you want to do. Um, and yeah, the videos are there, the notes are downloadable, but the note, all my not notes to all my courses um, have lots of reflective questions because I want people to almost feel like they've got the counselor at home with them through the questions because, you know, counselors are always about asking good questions. Right. You know? yeah. It's easy to give someone advice, but when you ask a good question, you help them process themselves their own words. <clears throat> And so a lot of my courses are kind of filled with these kind of questions. Uh, and even Jesus did that. I think he, he was asked like something like 400 questions. And I think he only answered three of them or something. I can't yeah, remember the exact Yeah, number. Jesus so is the great that. question asker. <clears throat> He's the yeah. great question asker. And so yeah. when you ask a good question, you get people to get to the root of their stuff. And so, yeah, the courses are designed to take people on journeys to, to own their stories. Um, yeah. Fantastic. Thank you, Matt. And before we go, um, if you had uh, one more thought, anything that's kind of burning on your heart, uh, again, mm. we're thinking about the audience that's listening to this. Mm. Most mm. people in the world have been through significant trauma recently, you know. Mm. Uh, maybe is there one thought or, or just one thing you would leave people with? We live in a world that is full of tensions and truths. Um, and the biggest mistake we make is when we're completely overwhelmed with tensions is well the two mistakes we make one is we want to avoid tensions eliminate them numb them botox them or whatever it is okay um and the second big mistake we make with tensions is that we allow them to become our truth because we're going through you know trauma of the trauma well that means god doesn't care anymore we, we turn our tensions into our truth um instead of holding both uh, scripture says clearly, in this world you will have trouble, but I have come to over, but I have come to overcome the world. You know, there's there's tension and truth in scripture all the time. You know, our bodies are caught in the grip of death and decay, but my spirit is renewed every day. Tension and truth, and we need to constantly make sure that we're holding onto hope handles or kind of truth bombs that that just give us a lens for managing our tensions, um, and I think. Um, in a world now where people are just in a place of despair, it's because they've lost sight of truth. Mm -hmm. They've lost sight of even a bigger perspective. We weren't born into this world purely for birth and death and whatever happens between them. You know, our life here on earth is a mere dot 
in the in the in the in the perspective of eternity, but yet we make life on earth the kind of be or an end all of everything. There is an eternal perspective, and that's a truth that we need to hold on to because when I've got an eternal perspective, it makes sense to the wrestles of what I go through here on earth. That actually, this is the, the sole reason we are here is to point people back to Christ so that they can have an eternal life with Him um, and to be His disciples here on earth. But if I lose sight of that, then it becomes meaningless and purposeless. So we have to manage tension with truth. Um, and that's why getting back into God's word, that's why having a kingdom, an eternal perspective is so crucial because then we bring that truth here on earth and we give our journey here meaning and purpose. Otherwise, it's like, well, man, it just sucks then, you know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's like really, as if it's, it was only about life and death yeah. and everything between those two really sucks because yes. the older you get, you suddenly realize your body is in the grip of death and decay, even though your spirit still feels like it's 18. Right. But that's, that's the truth of scripture. He's written eternity on my heart, but my body is in the grip of death and decay. Tensions. What do I do with that? Well, I've got to have a bigger picture. Absolutely. So for me, that's the hope handle I feel like I want to give people as they wrestle with so much pain and tension right now. Um, and it just feels like it's never ending. But, you know, when I understand my righteousness, which is a position, it releases a, a revelation of peace that passes understanding. It's got nothing to do with circumstances. It's got to do with revelation, which releases a joy, righteousness, peace, and joy. You, you, can't, have, you can't have the joy without the revelation of righteousness. And the joy is the, is the goodness of God in knowing the hope that we have in him. It's knowing our, 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 our future is secure. But I can have joy in, in a prison. <laughs> right. Pulled it. Totally. Um, yeah. But he had a he had a he had an eternal revelation. And so joy has got absolutely nothing to do with circumstances or happiness. It's got to do with revelation. Mm. Um, and that's why for me having having an eternal mindset and lens is so crucial when you're in the trenches of tensions. Yeah. Totally. And I think again, that just comes back to what we've been speaking about mm -hmm. is that we have to build that lens of truth like mm -hmm. because we're not living in a neutral world. So if we're no. not actively and proactively renewing our mind in scripture, then mm -hmm. billboards, advertisements, and social media will build that lens for us, you know? For sure. And for so, sure. so absolutely. Ahmed, thank you so much for this conversation. Really no, appreciate all your thoughts. Awesome. I've loved it. Um, guys, all the um, links to the book and the website, everything will be in the show notes of this podcast. So just go have a look at that. And then next week we have on the show a guy called Carl Tinian. He is a, a church planter with the Anglican Church in New Zealand, but he also has a YouTube channel called Heavenly Nosh, <laughs> where he talks awesome. about food and theology. I know. So uh, he'll be on the show next week, guys. And here is a little clip of that. Nads, thank you again. I uh, really appreciate having you on the show. The, the people that have impacted me most have often gone through un, just un, un, unimaginable hardship um, and have, have maintained intimacy with, with God through that. You know, you think of Julian of Norwich spending 30-odd years in a locked cell or Madame Guillon, who I loved, French uh, mystic, um, who was in prison for her faith. And, and, and the, the, lo the long list of those kind of people um, I want, they have something I want to, to hear from them because they have persevered and, and have not given up.
and and have pressed into God when probably others would have given you know fallen away. And those voices are so important to us in today's world, where we're not great at perseverance and we don't like hardship. Um, you know, I, I I think they're precious stories and they're part of our of our lineage. They're part of our family story as a group of global Christians. 